Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge line from TSPN, the Survival Podcast Network headquarters, a.k.a. the Ant Hill. Today is Thursday, December the 15th, 2011. This is episode 804. And in just a moment, I'll be bringing our guest on today, Steve Ostakalnis. I hope I got his name right. We'll ask him when he comes on. That's how I think it's pronounced. Anyway, he is the founder of Alert USA, or Alert USA, and we'll have him on in just a moment. Before we do that, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day number one today is Western Botanicals. Of course, that's Dr. Kyle Christensen's operation, and when I need anything herbal, If it's not growing in my backyard or already sitting in one of my cabinets, I go to Western Botanicals because I know that they're going to have it. Uh, they're a company we do business with directly ourselves. My wife just did business with them this week. And as usual, they were stellar. She called in an order, asked them for some help, and it turned out that what she wanted to order wasn't in stock. Uh, they called within an hour and said, we want to make sure we get this to go out today. Dr. Christensen said, this mix is mostly what you had ordered, with a few other things will probably work just as well. Do you want us to do the substitution, or do you want to hold off on the order until we have it back in stock? Uh, we said, go ahead with the order. That's the type of service you get there. That's the type of service I expect from somebody that's a sponsor of my show. And it's great when we go and we deal with them as a customer, and we don't tell them, you know, hey, this is us or anything, and they, we get treated exactly the same way. We see the level of service, the level of care, the level of professionalism. I feel really good about my endorsement. That's how I feel about Western Botanicals. So make sure whenever you need anything in that herbal world, you check them out. Next up today, KnifeKits.com. Of course, I wear a knife around my neck with a piece of mammoth tusk for a handle. And that came from KnifeKits.com because they have really cool exotic stuff like that at KnifeKits.com. But they have some pretty basic kits, too, that are basically do the final fit and finish on the handles, Sharpen them up, put them together. You customize it to look the way that you want. And if you don't know how to even do that, they have books and DVDs that walk you through it step by step. So whether you're a master blade smith that wants raw materials, or you're somebody that just wants to learn the, the beginning of the craft, knifekits.com is for you. They also have a great catalog that you can order. They'll send you by mail. You can page through it. I, I kind of prefer that to the website, honestly, with some of the cool stuff that they have. So you might want to make sure you request their catalog. Next up, remember you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. Those are the best ways to stay in touch with me in the social media space. And uh, quick reminder, today is the last day, yes, the last day of the Survival Podcast Member Support Brigade Winter Sale, Christmas Sale, Holiday Sale, whatever makes you happy, you can say it that way. The discount code is SNOW, S-N-O-W. Um, that gives you your first year for $30 versus $50. It will be the last sale that we're going to do this year. Probably the last sale that we're going to do until maybe end of March, beginning of April next year. Uh, can't do sales all the time. Just doesn't work. You know, then you might as well just put the price down there. But uh, basically, you get your first year for uh, $30. Bucks. There is a ton of benefits there. 
There's over $150 worth of free ebooks. There are some videos there I haven't put out anywhere else. There's a lot of great stuff there. And you support the show at $0.20 cents an episode, and while it's on sale, it's $0.12 cents an episode. If you want to pay by mail, you can do cash, check, money, order, or silver. There's When you go on the page to join, there is a form that you can print out, fill out, send it in. If you want to do a gift, that's the best way to do it. If you want to make this a gift to somebody, just write a note on the back of the form telling us whether you want us to send them the information directly and let them know you gave it to them as a gift, or you want us to send you the account information and you can present it to them however you choose. If you pay by silver during a sale, we don't take fractional silver. One ounce per year ends up being one ounce for 14 months. That's how we give you the discount with silver. With that, I've got everything wrapped up, and I want to introduce our special guest. Uh, again, Steve Ostakalnis, uh, who is the founder of Alerts USA. It's a Miami-based risk management firm, and it provides one of the nation's most widely used terrorism and national security threat alert systems for mobile devices. He started the firm in late 2001 out of a two-bedroom apartment following the attacks of 9-11. The company now serves a client base that extends to more than 20 countries, from government agencies all the way down to business travelers and the average guy or gal on the street who just wants to keep up on breaking news. His information, sources, and contacts provide a unique perspective on national and international events and the uh, potential impact here at home. He's with us today to talk about the storm clouds building on a number of fronts. And with that, hey, Steve, welcome to the Survival Podcast. Thanks, Jake. Hey, so, I mean, I just told people kind of your background and everything. I, my first question, though, and uh, to anybody that set up at a, a, a company like Alerts USA is, uh, I know it was right after 9-11 and all, but was there something inside of you that made you decide, like, this is what you want to do, or was there, like, a, a driving force for it? Uh, you know, what, what was it that kind of said, hey, I want it, there's a, there's a need and a niche here, and I'm going to be the guy to fill it? It was primarily the the need in the niche uh, in the time immediately following the accident when I was calling around to my contacts through D.C. trying to find out exactly what was happening. Nobody knew. Everybody was like, nobody knows what's going on outside of what has actually been seen on the news. Uh, there was a, it was particularly challenging in New York in that uh, when the towers went down, uh, so did the cell towers, the transmission towers. And so the only way that... Um, messaging was getting around to anybody, even if they were standing right next to you, is if they were actually using text messages because it requires far less bandwidth on the system to get a message through. And the combination of all of that, nobody knowing what was going on, um, and even in my home with relatives and family calling, uh, it was immediate apparent, immediately apparent that there was an opening for a service like this that where people could get updated information regardless of what was happening. Um, and get it in a timely fashion so they wouldn't have to wait for it to be edited through, processed through the news, um, and balanced out according to what their ad needs were and so on. So that was actually the start of the whole thing. So what exactly does Alerts USA do? Because you mentioned text messaging, and I'm sure people are thinking, well, if I need to get information around text messages, people have kind of sort of figured that out now, that they can text each other. But you guys are actually bringing information from various sources together and giving people incredible information, right? Yeah, we've got very credible information in that um, uh, prior to starting the company, I had a couple decades of working very closely with different branches of the government, the intelligence agencies, the defense agencies in different capacities. And uh, the network of connections that we put together in the course of doing this work gave us access to some amazingly generous people 
and information sources that allowed us to keep up on what's happening. And so uh, the initial customer base that grew out of this were federal, state, county, municipal, law enforcement, pe people at the end of the spear that needed actionable intelligence that Department of Homeland Security, Department of Justice was putting out, Defense Intelligence Agency. And we would get this information and then propagate that to the subscribers to the service. And um, uh, the, the ultimate goal is to give everybody subscribing to the service the same piece of actionable intelligence at the same time. It's what we refer to as a force multiplier. So, for instance, if uh, DHS puts out a warning that, um, you know, a bolo of some type, these people and so on, you all of, everybody that's on the service, all of a sudden you have multiple sets of eyes looking just besides the police and um, multiple or a larger group of people that are able to... Uh, that are more sensitive to their surroundings, uh, things that look odd and are more uh, willing and able to report that as opposed to people getting that at maybe the noon hour news broadcast or the 6 o'clock news broadcast or police waiting to go back to their offices and see something pinned to the board, uh, this flash awareness concept. Uh, it works, and it works exceptionally well. So you're, you're, you're delving more into not just um, a thing where me as a subscriber might get an alert that I need to take some kind of action to protect myself, but you're also kind of delving into the, the, the realm of uh, uh, what is I'm looking for, civil defense, where people are not just aware of the problem but can actively and proactively be part of the solution. Absolutely they can. Absolutely they can. And this is one of the... One of the reasons that we've had so much ease in our interactions with the government is that uh, it, allow, it helps them do their job by getting more sets of eyes out, um, being aware of what's happening, more people that, uh, or let me put it, fewer people that are wondering what's going on, fewer people that are clogging up the roads. Uh, for instance, uh, we noticed around Katrina that um, uh, a tremendous number of people not knowing what was going on as opposed to actually going on, heading in the wrong directions and so on in their evacuation routes. Matter of fact, the same thing actually happened uh, uh, when the earthquake just hit recently in D.C. A lot of people, again, wondering what's going on and so on, and it's uh, by having this alternative information source uh, that we're not worried about network ratings. We're not worried about ad sales. We're not uh, having an editorial board that vets every piece of information that we're sending out, which delays it significantly. Um, it brings added benefits to the people that are subscribed to the service because you find out a hell of a lot faster than the majority of everybody else. And that gives you actually a lot a, a, a jump on being able to respond to different types of situations if the need were there. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's all great, but I would imagine that maybe sometimes, I mean, I'll, I'll put it this way, I don't expect to ever look at my cell phone and get a thing from Alert USA that says, everything is super and wonderful, just wanted you to know. Um, when you're putting stuff out, it is things that are a danger, a threat. That's why it's an alert in the first, first place. Has that led you to any instances where maybe you get accused of, like, fear-mongering by radio talk show hosts or, or things like that? Um we have. A lot of that has actually come from overseas. Uh, we have a large uh, number of subscribers in the U.K., and um, I guess they have a different mindset about the entire thing. But we, every time we're interviewed or so on by the BBC, 
we're constantly um, accused of it. Aren't you just stirring up the masses? Aren't you making people more fearful? And so on. And our simple response to that is uh, uh, the fear isn't the problem. It's the lack of information that people have that's the problem. When you give people information, they're, they're better suited to respond or not respond in an appropriate fashion. Um, and if they're really concerned about, you know, us generating fear inside them, don't, don't order the service. But uh, the vast majority of people uh, do want to know what's going on, even if it is bad news, uh, in that uh, lives are at risk in a lot of the things that we report on. So even though you're a large USA and you're U.S.-based, and I'm sure a lot of things are U.S.-centric, it sounds like you're a global company, that it's a service that I can use anywhere in the world. It, it is a global company. We serve clients globally, and it can be used globally if a subscriber here in the U.S. has a mobile device that's able to be used um, abroad. And uh, this, it also touches out to satellite phones, satellite pages as well, which gives everybody a true global connectivity. We have several organizations that are primarily um, digital pager-based uh, as opposed to anything with respect to phones because they need to know what's going on. You know, I'm just sitting here and I'm thinking back to, you know, what I said at the beginning of the show about when you founded the company after 9-11. And I, I'm sitting here thinking about that and realizing kind of with some awe that that was over a decade ago. And it just seems like it's some, sometimes it seems like yesterday, but it's been more than 10 years and all the things that have changed in the world and in my life and, you know, from the, from the little things to the big things and how much of a different place this is. After 10 years of like being literally plugged into this, it, it has to have given you guys some insight. And with that insight, you know, what do you think the biggest threats are to people? You know, out there today, the average American, what, what are the biggest things we need to be concerned about from a disaster emergency standpoint? You know, at the beginning of this entire um, endeavor, uh, we were ultimately concerned on, about threats from abroad. And that up until this point in time in, in U.S. history, we had an ocean on the east coast, an ocean on the west coast, and friends to the north and south that buffered us from uh, having to deal with uh, these problems here at home. 9-11 changed all that. And in the 10 years following, what's been become plainly obvious is not only are we facing pretty severe threats from abroad, but uh, I don't think that any sane adult drawing a breath these days uh, will deny that we're also facing some profound threats from within. Not only action, and this is this is what I find just heart wrenching. In that uh, I absolutely love this country in every way, shape, and form, and to see the actions of some of our elected officials or the inaction of some of our elected officials. Case in point: this uh, uh, UAV going down in Iran. Uh, the president asking for this thing back, as opposed to sending in a strike mission and just destroying the thing, or going and claiming it back. Um, to the, uh, the continuing crumbling of the economy, which is going to have dramatic ramifications across the board. In desperate times, desperate people do desperate things. Um, the inability or the inaction on the border. Not only are they not securing the border, but anybody that was on the net last week saw the articles that uh, uh, the Obama administration is reducing the National Guard presence, and they're starting or they're 
opening their first uh, unmanned border checkpoint. I mean, what's going on? And people are wondering how... Uh, so, be wait a minute, the unmanned border checkpoint, so that's like self-checkout at the uh, grocery store, I guess, right? That is correct. You have fences and a camera. You have to send the Mexicans who want to come across the border. They'll have to show their little matricula consular card or their national ID card. And they will buzz you in? And they will buzz you in. you got to kidding me. No, I'm serious. This was all over Drudge Report. And uh, uh, the closest um, Border Patrol checkpoint where there's actual human beings is over 100 miles away. And so, you know, they might, it, it might be for public consumption built up as being this wonderful thing that will save resources and so on. But um, when, just on the other side of the border, the drug war with Mexico since 2006 has killed 40,000 people, some of those Americans on American soil. This is more lives lost than all of the combat casualties on the U.S. side in Iraq and Afghanistan combined. It's significantly more. It's, it, it is, and to have, uh, with that as a background thought, unmanned border security checkpoints, reducing the National Guard presence on the border right when everybody's screaming for it. Um, so circling back to your question about what is, you know, what's transpired in the last 10 years, I'm seeing that there are just as many, if not more, threats to the safety and security of the people of this country coming from within the country as opposed to coming from outside. There's still less significant um, on the outside, but um, there's some pretty serious. And it, again, this just wrenches my heart to even be talking like this. Um, yeah, I'm going to want to come back to the Mexico issue in a minute because I see a lot of concern there. Uh, not e even if we didn't have these new checkpoints, which I was really bogged down with show research this week and was not aware that they were going to buzz people into the border. Uh, that's something that probably calls for me to do not just an episode on, but a post on in addition to it. Um, but I've been, uh, you know, really uh, appreciative of the new the product you have out, the new newsletter, Thread Journal. And in your recent episode, you had uh, a big article calling to attention uh, Iran's activities in Central and South America and how important it is, you know, now in the light of global events. I mean, now we've got not just, I mean, because people always say, well, the people that want to come here from, from Mexico just want to a work and they want a job, and if we made it easier for them to do it legally, they would. And I think there's some truth there, and then there's some other people wanting to come in. But when we have people like Iran messing around down there, it's a whole new ball of wax. It is a whole new ball of wax um, from the tri-border region in Central America to the, there's a very close relationship between Iran and Venezuela. Uh, Venezuela's actually invited Iran to station uh, naval assets in Venezuelan ports. Uh, they've already, last year they uh, had their first uh, flotilla visit Venezuela and carry out um, uh, training, joint training exercises. We know that um, uh, Hezbollah, which is directly funded by Iran, um, they are all over Mexico working very closely with the different drug cartels, um, not only in their efforts to, it is believed, to be able to take direct action against the United States if we ever go to a war with Iran, but just the funding of Hezbollah. These guys are busted across the United States all the time, running, you know, untaxed cigarette sales operations or different ways that they generate um, monies 
for Hezbollah and the different efforts that they have, and they ship this money back. Same thing's taking place with Mexico because of the, uh, there are, there's skill sets that Hezbollah can bring to the drug cartels, uh, in terms of, uh, unconventional warfare, and they in turn, um, put, or give access to the money tree, so to speak. Hezbollah, so they're making money off of it, they're imparting wisdom to the other side, and around and around they go. Uh, the same thing is happening here in the U.S., as I just mentioned, that um, the FBI is frequently rolling up little Hezbollah cells that are doing different things to raise money to send back. A favorite seems to be uh, untaxed cigarettes. They're always getting popped with tractor trailers full of these things around the United States. It's, it's everywhere. It's all over the place right now. And I think that part of the problem that we're experiencing here is this PC culture where we don't want to offend a certain segment of the population and so on, so we stand down and we don't profile um, because we don't want anybody to be offended. And I think that a number of these um, concepts are helping speed up our demise domestically. You know, th there's a big part of, and I'm, I am a libertarian, but I consider myself to be uh, one flavor, and there's many flavors of libertarianism, and uh, a, a common theme is, is anti-war, and, and, and to me, I think everybody should be anti-war. We don't want a war, but if you try to kill me, I'm going to kill you back, and, and I mean, that's the kind of libertarian I am, but there's there's people that gravitate to the other stream, and they say that all of this stuff about these, these terrorist threats, these uh, people that want us dead, is all just being built up by government to give them an excuse to go out and do things. And I don't think that it's untrue that they're they're using some of this as an excuse to do certain things and encroach on our own liberty, but, but I also believe that there's legitimate threats there. You live this stuff. Can you give maybe some specific examples of this or just speak to that at all in any way? Can you be a little bit more... Uh well, what I mean is, I, I, you know, I, I like, for instance, I like LouRockwell.com. But every day on LouRockwell.com, there seems to be at least one person writing an article that says all of this stuff about terrorists trying to come here and kill us is just just nonsense. There's a very small handful of people that even fit that mold, and if we would just leave them alone, they would leave us alone. And it's all overblown, and don't worry about it. And I don't quite buy into that. I want to kind of maybe your retort on that, because you deal with this stuff every day. Well, yeah, I, I, I don't buy into that at all. There may be some truth that, yes, our policy decisions in the past and so on, yet, um, you know, presence of U.S. soldiers, um, you know, on Saudi soil may get some people riled up and all that. So be it. But if it was just the attacks and the things happening here in the United States, these folks might have a point. But this is stuff that's happening all over the place. Just for instance, in the last... 24, 48 hours, the guy that I believe it was in Sweden that was tossing grenades around, taking shots at people. Um, uh, it, it's not just here. When, you know, look at the Netherlands and how, you know, you, you draw a cartoon of the Prophet Muhammad and you end up getting knifed. And so it's not just here. Um, and I f don't buy for a moment the U.S. as being the cause of all of this. In that, uh, we look back in history, there's been a number of very famous instances where a fanaticism has to be slapped down. You've got uh, uh, Germany and the Nazis. That, that fanaticism needed to be slapped down. Imperial Japan, the exact same thing. That fanaticism needed to be slapped down. 
And I think uh, it's our time in history right now where radical Mohammedism uh, is uh, rearing its head, trying to impose its version of morality on the rest of the world. And when they bring that to our shores, um, we now are seeing the result of that. Yeah, I mean, there has been some instances already of Sharia law creeping into our court system. Very much so. We covered this in Threat Journal uh, about a month and a half ago, where there's uh, there's quite a bit of case law being laid down now, uh, and it might be little small judgments here and there, but what this does is create prece- uh, case precedent. And when enough, when an, a large enough body of case precedent is uh, is able to to be built up, that then has the that weighs the preponderance of the thinking of the judges that are um, looking back into case law in order and precedent in order to see how to judge on future cases. And um, yeah, gloomy, gloomy in that respect as well. <laughs> well, um, I've been hearing a lot of scuttlebutt about if this if things keep going the way that they are, we're going to end up in a war with Iran, or Israel's going to end up in a war with Iran, and of course we're going to have to support them. What, what are your thoughts on that front? What, what, what's going on there? Well, uh, I think war with Iran uh, is absolutely inevitable at the beginning, at least between Israel and Iran. There may be a surrogate that's used in the in-between to actually launch the thing, but uh, we need to keep in mind that China has publicly stated that they will start World War III to defend Iran. And that was a comment that was made in the last 10 days. <clears throat> we also have Russia that, uh, while not saying that they will start World War III, they have made it very clear that they will stand in defense of uh, Syria. And in November, they signed a defense pact with Syria. They now have uh, Soviet naval or surface warfare ships import in Syria. Um, and so... Uh, uh, what do you think their motivation is there? I mean, it's Syria is sure they've got some oil and all, but I mean, Russia's got plenty of oil. It, it, it seems like an insignificant country overall. What, what? Why would they risk so much to defend Syria? I think on one side it gives them uh, instead of a head-to-head confrontation with the U.S., it gives them uh, a surrogate, an in-between. Um, <clears throat> There's obviously much like ties. Vietnam or Korea. Correct. Uh, there's uh, strong economic ties, and that uh, a lot of oil and natural gas and so on is from Russia is sold into Iran. Um, also, they have uh, very few strategic footprints. Uh, for instance, the U.S. we have bases everywhere, and so on. It's not quite the case with Russia and China, and they're looking to. Uh, to expand their presence and their influence as well. Um, and it, I, I think it all definitely comes down to economic considerations. You know, is it in their national interest, be it through some type of natural resource that they want or some strategic positioning? Um, uh, but if you peel back all the layers, invariably it always comes back to the dollars. Yeah. Especially with those two cultures in that uh, there's, there's not a great, sanctity for life with the Chinese 
you know, uh, the, the national mindset. You know, 1.6 billion people, they don't have the same... Um, same yeah, we can lose a few. And I hate to put it that way, but that's, especially if you are uh, in any kind of socialist state, there's always an elite layer that, that's separated from the general population. And if you're part of that layer and you're pulling the strings, you feel like, yeah, we, it's like a chess match. You can lose the pawns. They're not that important. Exactly. It's kind of like a, a large game of risk. <laughs> You're going to lose some, and you just know you're going to lose some. And I think that the, the, the dangerous thing is that we we have forgotten that that's exactly how in World War II we looked at it. We we sent soldiers to Iwo Jima, and we and, and all these other places in the South Pacific. We we did D Day, and we knew there were going to be massive casualties, and we were willing to accept those massive casualties. And we we said this is just the cost of what we have to do. We moved into this high tech warfare where we're able to minimize our casualties, and even minimize collateral enemy casualties. And because we made that shift, it's really easy for the MTV generation to look at it and think, well, that's what the rest of the world did. But if you're sitting on, you know, the horsepower of 1.6, 1. 1.7 uh, billion people, uh, you, you don't you don't necessarily let go of that so fast. That's exactly right. You know, the um, I would venture a guess that uh, vast majority of the, um, the people that uh, are blame America crowds and they I would I, I, I make an educated guess here that a lot of them are either college age or maybe a little bit older they haven't uh, yet been in their lives they haven't experienced major national tragedy or a major national threat as previous generations have um, where uh, the survivability of the nation or the, the survival of the nation is on the line and uh, I think that this mindset is in part a side effect of the immense blessing that has been poured out in this country. We haven't had to worry about these things for the longest time. We haven't had, you know, and so most of the people that are commenting and, you know, blame America and so on, they, they just, they haven't been alive long enough to have experienced um, all of this. And then add to that the fact that they've been alive inside of a country that is a higher standard of, I mean, the poor people in this country do better <laughs> than uh, 90% of the rest of the world. And as a result, those that haven't traveled, those that haven't seen the rest of the world or thir some third world countries, they really don't know exactly how difficult it can be and how challenging it can be when your, uh, your national sovereignty and your safety is being threatened on a day-to-day -day basis. And they just don't experience that here. You know, I, I think that it's it, it's like really a long history, too. Like, we've come further in the last 25 years than at any time of being disconnected, but we have almost our entire history with, without some of the things the rest of the world has done dealt with because, like you said, the two oceans and friends to the north and south. If you really think about it, you can say Pearl Harbor and you know, the Japanese hit the Aleutian Islands in World War II. You can say 9-11, but the reality is the last time there was an honest-to-God shoot-and-kill-each-other war in this country, it was the Civil War, and we were doing it to ourselves. And before that was the War of 1812, which ended in 1814. Other than that, we haven't seen warfare action on U.S. soil the way most of the rest of the world has, especially Europe. Um, and I think those people there remember bombs dropping a lot more than, you know, anybody possibly could hear unless you're, you know, you're as a young man in World War II sent over there or sent to Vietnam or sent to Korea or something like that. And I think there's a big disconnect with that reality and a belief that, well, it hadn't happened in, you know, 150 years, so it's not going to happen. And it, it may not. Hope to God it doesn't happen. But it doesn't mean that 
even if it happens elsewhere, we don't have side effects of that threat. I mean, let's say there was a war in our, with Iran and, and Israel, and let's say that cooler heads prevailed and China and Russia and the U.S. would do whatever we do through the surrogates and we don't start tossing nukes at each other, and it's just Israel and Iran. What ramifications do you see there globally? Well, Iran has been very clear that um, if they are attacked by anyone, they will immediately lash out on the United States and whatever partners we might have at the time. Um, as we had already spoken of, uh, Hezbollah is all over the place, south of the border. Uh, we know they're here in the States because they're constantly being picked up for different types of uh, illegal fundraising opportunities and so on. Um, or illegal fundraising activities. And, but they have made very, Iran has made very clear that um, they will carry out attacks here in the homeland if they are attacked over there. And uh, we reported not long ago in Threat Journal also that Iran has actually opened up um, suicide bomber sign-up stations where you can go sign up, give all this information, all that, and they'll actually... Oh, so like joining the, the Boy Scouts or whatever, you join the Suicide Bomber Scouts? That's correct. Okay. That, it's, when, we, when you're fighting an enemy that wants to die or cherishes death as much as we cherish life, uh, it makes for a very interesting enemy. And this is where we get back to the PC stuff. If, um, if we're fighting on the grass, so to speak, uh, then the other guy will definitely have the advantage from the very beginning. You know, in any fight, you find out where it hurts, and you squeeze. And there are several ways that um, uh, with, uh, within Islam that you can put the big fear into these folks. But because we don't want to offend, and we're not fighting Islam, and we're not fighting Muslims in general, and so on, they, the U.S. military and the government, they've made the decision not to do these different things. Um, you know, get 10,000 pigs and set them loose in Afghanistan and watch everybody run for the hills. Um, you know, just you know, get down and dirty. You know, people are going to hear that and think that there's, like, no precedent to that or that it, it, it's just you know, somebody talking. But let me tell you, honest to God story, my grandmother uh, was married to, you know, my grandfather for, from I think they were, like, 18 when they got married and, and you know, were together until they both passed away. Um, and he was a 30-year Army officer, and he was stationed in Lebanon in the 60s and uh, as part of the Army Intelligence Corps. And the civilian, uh, you know, your, your wife, your kids, whatever, went with you wherever you went eventually. You could get housing, and it was easy for an officer. So my grandmother and her two sons at the time, I don't think my mom or her sister were born yet, were there with him in Lebanon in this period of time when a lot of this stuff was already going on. Nobody wants to even remember that it was going on back then. They were given a can of pig lard, like an aerosol can, with a picture of a pig on the front of the can. And basically told, use this like mace. If you are attacked or accosted, spray this, and it will repel the attacker because they'll know what it is, and they can't possibly go to Allah while they're coated in this stuff. And it wasn't run around and torment them with it. It wasn't like that. It was, if you are accosted, if you are threatened, if you... So that was like a... Flat, and, I mean, I've never seen a picture of this, but my grandmother told me that, so I'm going to take my grandmother's word over anything else on that front. And she said they never had to do it, but it was there, and it was accepted as something that worked. I also know that during, there was a, a revolt 
in India during the British occupation where they were coating the uh, brass for the, the, the bullets, and it's like the first cartridge-based rifles with uh, piglard so that the um, so that it wouldn't corrode. And it actually was reverse thing, backfired, where their, their like gunners, mates, and assistants and all that were all in the local population wouldn't touch the ammo because it had pig lard on it. So this actually works, especially with a radical extremist. It actually it does. And um, there's lots of anecdotal evidence to point to that fact. Um, uh, but as long as uh, we, <clears throat> as long as we fight with kick gloves on, then um, we have to expect that uh, uh, we're going to get less than optimum results. On the other side, that mentality that the military, their job is to kill people and break things. This is what they're trained to do and to... Um, <clears throat> the soft form of warfare. Uh, well, there, to this point, is really no formidable enough opponent to stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with the United States, at least that we've seen thus far. Um, uh, <clears throat> I'm going to say something you may not agree with, and, and that's okay, because this is a show where people are allowed to disagree with each other. I do believe that, that we would be a lot better off if we withdrew from all this 144 uh, nations that we have a presence in. Uh, I do believe that, that on, on that front that Ron Paul's on the right side of things. I would like to see less intervention. I think we have caused a lot of our own problems. Where I agree, though, is, like I said, once you're the aggressor, then it's incumbent upon me to defend myself. And my problem is that I think there's a lot of people that would take what I said initially here and they gravitate all the way to this pacifist extreme. And then there's, like, the warmongering. And I don't think there's enough of uh, an understanding and common sense on this middle ground that, yeah, we could do a lot of things differently but we also have to deal with the situation as it exists. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, I think we will come down to the different sides of it. And that, uh, in this day and age, well, perhaps the, the, the sheer number, 170-some-odd bases spread out around the United or spread out around the world, might be a little extreme. I think it's imperative that the country in this day and age maintain... Uh, bases and assets abroad, uh, not only for shortened response times, but also to show the flag. In that, um, it's not only bases and troops that we have abroad, but the uh, we have corporations and citizens um, and other U.S. assets that are spread abroad that also need um, defense. And um, you know, uh, to pull everybody home, uh, for instance, Ron Paul and his idea of pulling the troops off the, uh, the border with North Korea, even though they are currently only serving as a speed bump, uh, it is a deterrent. And um, <clears throat> uh, I think that we would, now this is just my own personal opinion and that derived from conversations with loads of people inside of the Beltway in D.C., that, well, yes, there would be monetary savings in... Are you still with me? Yeah, we're here. Go ahead. Okay. Um, I think that we would uh, multiply the, the number of problems that we would ultimately have to uh, be responding to, uh, or and the threats to the country would multiply uh, concurrent to 
the reduction of all of these spaces abroad. And that um, you're, you're taking the big guy off the block that often is keeping a lot of these places uh, um, quiet. For instance, uh, one could logically assume that if the U.S. was not on the border with North Korea, that that war would have resumed a long time ago. I think in that case you may actually be right. Um, and I, I don't bring people on to, like, debate politics anyway. I just, you know, with some of the stance you're taking, I want to make sure that my listeners know that I bring you on to, to get your viewpoint and not necessarily, you're not necessarily speaking for me, and certainly I'm not necessarily speaking for you because that keeps everybody happy in the in the community, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so we're not, um, you know, misunderstanding each other. Peace-loving guy myself, and so on. But after ten years of seeing all of this on a day-to-day basis, and uh, the threats that are facing this country that don't make it into the news. And um, well, I think there's a lot of that. I, I really do. I think there's a there is, and this is part of the reason that we started Threat Journal is that there's so much that's not being covered uh, by the mainstream for whatever reason. Fukushima is a perfect example. Um, but there's so much that's not being covered by the mainstream media that really does need to uh, uh, be told to. Let's talk about that because that's a perfect example. And and I kind of again in this I, I always seem to end up in the middle on things because I take both sides fully into account. I think that on one there are groups of people that I will not name right now in kind of the shock radio genre that are like saying it's a giant cloud of death heading for it's going to kill you now, right? And then then there's the everything is super, everything's wonderful, don't worry about it. And I put it more into day-to-day, right now, with what's going on, you're not going to get sick or die. But there's a, a, still a situation in place that has the potential to get far worse. And, and it's, it's just, I think nobody's happy with that. Either I'm lathering it up and making it too dangerous, or I'm mitigating it. No matter what's, you know... <laughs> It's like you can't win if you're in the middle, I guess. <laughs> I agree. You know, the in with the Fukushima thing, uh, it is very bad for us right now as we're downwind, and it's only going to get worse. Uh, the <clears throat> one of the reasons, if you think back, uh, this was pretty heavy in the news until the day they started dropping bombs in Libya, and then it dropped from the news. Uh, if you're wondering why it remains out of the news, if somebody goes to Google, Google and types in GE Media Holdings, they will see that GE, uh, as the parent company, has a lot of the mainstream media outlets um, in its corporate structure. GE is also responsible for the design of the boiling water reactors at Fukushima. There's 23 of them here in the United States as well. Uh, I can't see the powers that be at GE letting one arm of that corporate entity come out with information that's going to ultimately screw another division of it. And so it's basically just, unless it's somebody not associated with that, that, uh, that conglomerate right there, you'll never see the stories on NBC, MSNBC, any of the major stations that's under GE's holdings because they'd just be uh, decimating another division of that company. But the problem is, extraordinarily serious there. I was just speaking um, yesterday with Steve Harris about this and that uh, reactor number four is falling apart. It's leaning. All of the fuel that they have is stored up in a cooling pond that's elevated and filled with water. Uh, They're waiting for the next 
um, eight-plus earthquake, which could bring that the remainder of that building down. And um, the big concern there is that once those fuel rods spill out or fall apart because they're not you're not able to lay them down around a 45-degree angle. They're meant to be held upright. And when those things fall apart into a pile, uh, we, we're at a point where modern science just doesn't know how to deal with that, how to get close to it to clean it up, uh, what to do with it all. And there's actually plans within the State Department that if that uh, number four collapses, that um, uh, there'll be a push to get most U.S. citizens out of the country. There's some of the experts that uh, are all over the news that does cover it, uh, the Fukushima story now, that are saying that if number four collapses, that they will ultimately have to evacuate most of eastern Japan because of the amount of radioactive whatever that's given off. But, um, and remember, we're downwind. There's also the problems that uh, they're having, or they're starting to burn all of the debris from the earthquake. This is all of the debris that has uh, been had months of cesium and 200 different radionuclides raining down on it. All that this is doing is re-aerosolizing the radioactive substances and putting them back into the air so that they can either be carried on the winds west, uh, I'm sorry, east towards the United States, or it's just redeposited elsewhere in the country. But they're not talking about this. Nor do you hear on the news that uh, the plant manager at Fukushima just recently died of leukemia. It's a blood cancer. And uh, some of the royal family, or the imperial family in Japan, is hospitalized now uh, with the same type of symptoms. Explain to me, then, how this differs from the fact that in the 50s and 60s, we took atomic weapons exceeding one megaton and detonated them in the middle of our own deserts. Um, well, a lot of those were the underground explosions. But they weren't. They weren't all. I mean, there were definitely surface explosions with with full tilt nuclear weapons in the middle of our own deserts, and uh, that's a lot closer to home. Sure it is. You know, there's uh, at the beginning of the atomic age. There, I don't think that they knew even what they were dealing with and the ramifications of it. They certainly didn't know about uh, the electromagnetic pulse um, until they were doing some of the uh, the airdrops in the Pacific, and it shut down, turned off all the lights in Hawaii. And they started some investigation as to figuring out what was happening. And only then did they learn about the electromagnetic pulse effect. So all of the things that were happening earlier in that time, you know, to me, the only logical explanation, they didn't know. Gotcha. Well, you talked a lot about Threat Journal. I mean, this is something people can subscribe to. And get what I would consider inside information on a lot of stuff, stuff that's not getting out into the mainstream. Um, and you've got a, uh, you're actually going to do something cool for the listeners if they subscribe, right? Yeah, we've got, um, we've got five radiation safety packages, each one that consists of a uh, nuke alert, a little personal radiation monitor and alarm, a little package of uh, the rad sticker, peel and stick dosimeters, and then a few boxes of the potassium iodide tablets. The three of these things allow you to detect, measure, and protect yourself um, in uh, a radiological emergency. The potassium iodide obviously coming into play only if there's a radioactive iodine that's being released. But uh, we've got five of those packages that uh, we'll give away, and uh, the 
winners will be drawn from the people that subscribe to Threat Journal, which is free. And there will be a link on your site, or they can just go directly to threatjournal.com forward slash, uh, let's see, the, the, was it the TSP. I got to get the survival podcast, but threatjournal.com forward slash TSP will also take you to the sign-up form. And, and we'll the winners will only be drawn from the people that sign up. So this isn't something that's being done with a whole bunch of other interviews. It's just survival podcast. And that's why it's important to use the link that you're just given. And the best thing to do would be go to the survivalpodcast.com, use the link in today's show notes. That makes sure you get entered because if you just go in to the threatjournal.com and, and register, you'll get the newsletter, but you won't have a chance to win one of the, uh, the, the packages. You want to maybe tell us what a dosimeter is? A dosimeter? Okay, radiation detector detects the presence of radiation. A dosimeter helps you measure what's known as the accumulated dose. While you're being exposed to it, that's one thing. But the accumulated dose, another way to say that is it's a way to quantify how much damage is being done to the body. And so that will let you know how long you can stay before in a particular area where radiation has been detected before it's going to start impacting you physically. That's what the purpose of the device is. Well, we, we talked a lot about war threat, terrorist threat, nuclear threat, but there's a lot of other stuff going on I'd like to get your, your thoughts on as well. Um, we have the whole thing with the uh, Euro meltdown. We have all these uh, demonstrations going on in Europe and, and throughout a, a lot of the world. That's kind of sort of tied into the all Occupy Wall Street movement here in Politics one way or another, because I think a lot of those people out there are extremely misguided, but even if I didn't, right, even if I thought they all knew exactly what they wanted, whenever you get large groups of people angry about something into the streets, there's a potential, and I would say even sometimes with a malicious intent, that somebody just tips them over. And the longer they're there, the bigger the group, and the angrier they become, the less of a push, and sometimes it becomes not even a push, just a, you can almost blow it over with a little breath. And what are your thoughts there? Do you see, see a potential powder keg in that world? I absolutely do. Uh, follow the logic here. Okay, the, the countries uh, in the Eurozone, all of their banks have sold bonds. Who's the buyer of the uh, – I'm sorry, their banks and their, their – their, the countries themselves have sold bonds, basically IOUs. Who is the buyer of those bonds? other sovereign nations, as well as banks, not only European banks, but American banks. And so if we have the Eurozone crumble, or let's get more detailed, let's say that Greece defaults. We have a large number of U.S. banks that hold that sovereign debt. A perfect example was MF Global, about a month and a half. Now, this is one of the 22 primary dealer banks the 22 banks that are able to legally do business with the Treasury folds up. And their greatest exposure was they had approximately 60% of the funds, of the investment funds of the company invested in short-term uh, sovereign bonds from European countries. And when those debt yields, when those bonds, the value of the bonds started to go down or the yields started to go up, the um, uh, this is what... Uh, caused the initial uh, destabilization of MFG. Now, if you can have one of the largest banks, and, uh, and this is a clearinghouse as well, that goes down and takes depositor money with it. Um, 
um, you're looking for something that will set off a powder keg. Now, people try and go to the bank and find out that, well, they don't have any money in their account, as is now happening with the people at MFG. Or let's say they have a bank holiday because they don't want to run on our banks here uh, if something like that starts. It's definitely uh, what happens over there is going to have very severe ramifications over here, and it's going to happen quick, too. Do you, I mean, my concern is when, okay, so one of these guys are out there with their iPhone and they're trying to buy something uh, for to stay warm tonight and they find out their bank collapsed and then they tell all their other buddies in the street that it just happened and they can't get their money. And then they're already out there and they're already angry and they're already blaming the banks and the corporations and in some ways legitimately for problems. That, 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 that has a, It's not just an economic problem I'm worried about. I'm worried about... People go and start to burn the, the cities down. I mean, the, the people in, it was a small group really compared to what the news showed us, but, but people in Boston wrecked their own town because their team won, uh, a championship, right? Now, so that's, that's like a good thing when your team wins a championship. So my thought is this same dynamic, and then the government can turn and crack down on it, and then they use it as an excuse to do things they normally wouldn't get away with, and at the same time, we're, we're, once that happens, we're dealing with this whole economic crisis, and, you know, if none of this other stuff we talked about ever comes into anything, to me that's enough to cause misery beyond most people's comprehension right here at home. Absolutely. If you want a perfect example of how weak the social film is that ties uh, this country together, look at what happened immediately following uh, Katrina in New Orleans. It's, you know, just things will absolutely fall apart. I have uh, complete faith that... Um, we all might like the wonderful thought of, you know, mankind pulling together and pulling through and all of this. Uh, I, I, I just I, I just don't see how that would happen when, for instance, uh, my big fear, you know, they do a bank holiday, and it's not me. I'm thinking about, hey, if my mom needs to go to the bank and pull some cash, and she's not able to do that for a few weeks. Well, it's not just that... Uh, the, mo the other mothers that can't feed their kids uh, because there's no money coming out of the banks or uh, payrolls that are not able to be met. Um, this, in turn, has an impact on uh, product being shipped across the country by truckers. Uh, all of these things just compound on top of each other. Um, I, I think there's good reason to be very, very concerned overall about uh, the economic situation in Europe and how that can have uh, massive uh, have re massive ramifications here in the states. I would definitely agree with that. And uh, you know, we talked about Threat Journal, but of course, you're the founder of Alerts USA, and that allows people to get real time information. I would know about real time; it's very quick information, as is probably as fast as you guys get it in and verify it to be credible out into the network. How does that actually work for people? How do they get uh, Alert USA service? Well, information or events come into us, and then uh, in terms of the execution of the service, we validate the information that we're going to send, a few taps on the keyboard, and this is blasted out to everybody's cell phone, smartphone, your iPad, whatever mobile device you're carrying, as well as your email. Um, and with the, the how the two tie together, Alert USA is the alert service. Threat Journal was recently launched in order to provide 
additional information on the alerts that we sent out earlier in the week. And so each issue starts out by supplementing, filling out the story. Um, for instance, uh, there's uh, yesterday we sent out alerts that um, Iran is threatening to close down the uh, Persian Gulf uh, for uh, military exercises. We'll be providing a lot more detail on that, their plans have, that have been made public for that. And so what uh, you say is the alert, the follow-up with additional information is threat journal. And then in addition to um, adding additional information about the alerts, we also go back and put in other stories and information about um, things that you're not seeing in the broadcast media that are just incredibly important to have on your radar, the different threats that are facing the country that, for whatever reason, the powers that be or the mainstream media isn't covering. And the, uh, the Thread Journal is free, but Alerts USA, you guys got to pay the bills, so there's, that's a subscription service. Uh, like you said, it reaches out to your email and your, your mobile device. But what's the cost of that for people to sign up? Uh, the normal cost for Alerts USA is one sixty nine ninety five per year for a mobile phone and an email. Up until between now and the end of the year, uh, we're making this available just for $99. And so $99 for a full year of getting this information uh, via your cell phone. Invariably, a heck of a lot faster than you're going to see it uh, in the mainstream media. We have a long-established reputation of scooping the mainstream media on stories left and right, and that uh, we don't have the editorial process that they have to go through. So we find out, we verify our information, and it goes right out. Uh, there's very few other considerations that, um, that we have to take into account that the mainstream media outlets do. And so um, we were, we have been days ahead of the mainstream on uh, literally every alert that's gone out about Fukushima. Uh, majority of the time our alerts that go out have, you just won't find the information in the, the broadcast media. Um, and the same goes with the... Uh, different things that are happening over in the Middle East or breaking events here in the U.S. Hey, I want to kind of point something out to you because you mentioned editorial process. And a lot of that editorial process is not just them vetting the story for accuracy, right? It's, it's, is it going to piss off Nabisco, who's a sponsor? And, and it, really, it really does that. And, but you guys, you, you have your own vetting processes just for validity and, and is it credible, and then you put it out. But you also have a real track record for that credibility because just tell folks like who some of your actual customers are that are your subscribers to this service that, that, that receive that information because it's not just Joe and Mary and Tom, right? No, actually the baseline bread and butter of the company of the company are federal, state, county, municipal law enforcement um, agencies. And so starting at the top level, we have the Department of Homeland Security, the Department of Justice, National Nuclear Security Administration, Department of the Navy. Um, most of the made, uh, cabinet level federal agencies are represented inside of our customer base and um, a large number of state police organizations, uh, municipal police organizations use it. Uh, a lot of critical, those uh, areas of industry that can be referred to as critical infrastructure, whether or not it's the uh, mass transportation or uh, power and energy and so on, large uh, entities within those uh, market segments also use the service as just a way to, um, for instance, the largest retailer in the U.S., uh, something like 500 locations 
they use the service in order to just be able to quickly tell if any of their um, their retail properties are in danger or something like that so that they can immediately get on the line and talk to the store manager. And Not to mention manage the safety of their customers and their, their employees. And, I mean, I'm just, looking at, I'm just looking at, like, your customer list here, and I'm thinking, like, New Jersey Department of Health, uh, Ventura Harbor Patrol, uh, Constellation Energy, Bank of America, Bank of New York, uh, Department of Defense, uh, National Nuclear Security Administration, uh, Defense Information Systems, uh, U.S. Air Force, U.S. Army, U.S. Coast Guard, U.S. Navy. I mean, t- to me, that, that, that is a, a, a tremendous vouching for the credibility of the information. I do have one question for you. Uh, while we're sitting here talking, I heard you say it's a special, 99 bucks a year to sign up, and I was thinking, I need this just for my business, right? So, because uh, of the stuff I talk about every day, I should have been a subscriber to you long ago. Went to sign up, uh, still one sixty nine ninety five a year. How do people get that special price? Uh, by going to, uh, let's see. <laughs> live, man. <laughs> um, Hey, folks, this is me make, looking out for you. Make sure you get the special deal. This is how it really goes down. What I will do is uh, I will make sure that um, at the conclusion here that an additional link is sent to you. Okay. That will take them right to um, the $99 or an avenue in to the $99 offer. Okay, great. And I'll make sure I use that for myself because this, for me, this is a business expense. And I think that's something a lot of you guys might realize. It may be a business expense for a lot of people, honestly, because it's a, a communication and news service. Um, and you're, they're actually, they have nothing at risk because uh, we have a uh, very simple guarantee that let's say that you order the service for a year and 364 days from now you're not satisfied with an We'll give you your money back in full. Wow. And so 100% money-back guarantee, no questions asked. It's the, the best and easiest way to do business, and that um, it keeps us honest, and um, uh, it, it engenders trust. Well, it also is a per- perfect example of standing behind your product. I don't know a lot of people that do it. I know I do it, and i um, glad to have you here talking about it since you do, too. That gives me a lot of confidence in recommending you guys. Anyway, um, I, I really uh, love what I'm hearing from you guys, and uh, I hope that a lot of people will take advantage of that opportunity. Uh, the fact that, like I said, that you'll you'll give 100% refund if people are unsatisfied says a tremendous amount about your confidence in yourself. You know, we've um, we've had people that um, have mentioned in the past. Uh, well, since you have the government as all these customers and so on, you know, how do, can we trust the information that you guys are putting out? And um, we are not the end all perfect information solution. We need to be considered as just another tool in your information pencil cup, so to speak. And um, the, we've heard repeatedly from different people at the federal level that the reason that they use this service is a backup for the, for instance, DHS has their own internal system and all that, but uh, getting information from the private sector uh, invariably, there's more information that's passed, and it's passed a lot quicker, a lot faster than uh, the internal systems. And even if both got out at the same time, we invariably are providing details that they're not getting through their normal channels. And so um, we don't tow the party line, uh, so to speak. Um, that's one of the wonderful things about doing this from the private sector is that uh, we don't have to... Uh, kowtow 
and put out only what they want, or if they say, don't put this out, we'll actually make a judgment call instead of just saying, yes or yes, or three bags full. And in fact, we <laughs> have been asked not to prom- or not to propagate certain types of information. This, in fact, happened last week. Yeah. Uh, where uh, we were given a piece of information and specifically told, don't put this out, but we want you guys to know what's going on. So. But you guys did it anyway? Is that what you're saying? Well, no. In those instances, you know, in each instance we'll look at very closely. You okay. Know, something that's going to endanger law enforcement, screw up an investigation, or endanger the warfighter, we just won't touch it. Uh, and uh, But on the other side... So it would be accurate to say there are times when you say, this is a legitimate... Like any good media outlet, this is a legitimate request. We're not going to endanger lives here. We're not going to create a panic when we're not sure yet. And we're going to sit this one for now, but then there's other times where maybe somebody just doesn't want it done and you say, in this instance, we're going to do it anyway. In this instance, the general public needs to know this information. Sorry, gotcha. guys. <laughs> yeah. So. Well, that's, that's good to hear. So I'll tell you, one thing that some of my listeners are going to be thankful to you for is you've given me some new things to think about with Fukushima. I do believe that some of the Sources out there are completely overblowing it, but it may also be being severely underplayed. And I'm going to dig deeper into that using the resources that are available on your site. Uh, well, one of the sources that we actually have uh, here is somebody that actually works on site there. And this guy's pretty interesting. During his off time, because the city of Fukushima is now evacuated, he spends his off hours with his friends practicing racing around the town in a souped-up Toyota drifting. Because <laughs> there's no one there? Because <laughs> there's no one there. That's why he sends me back these videos, but he's an excellent source of information on what's happening on the ground there and um, uh, stuff that we're putting out information about this that you just won't see in the mainstream media. Well, great. Um, again, I thank you for being here today. Folks, remember, you guys can uh, subscribe to the Threat Journal absolutely for free. Uh, there'll be a link in today's show notes so that you can do that. Um, you can get a special price through the end of the year for Alert USA for ninety nine ninety five for the year or ninety nine ninety nine whichever one it is for the whole year. I'll have a link out on that, and uh, I would imagine that a lot of you out there probably have a lot of questions for Stephen, uh, and you want maybe him to elaborate on some things. And I'll bet you if you post those as a comment in the blog, he will oblige us with coming back a time or two and following up with that and getting you some answers to them. Absolutely. Well, I appreciate you uh, coming on the air with us today, Steve, and uh, look for an email from you with those uh, those additional links. Hey, folks, Jack Spearco here with a little bit of a postscript today. Uh, after I got off the air with uh, with Steve, I hit him up for a discount for the MSB and figured maybe he would make the $99 a year as a permanent MSB discount uh, instead of out through the end of the year. I was able to talk with him, work with him a little bit, and I was actually able to do better for the MSB members. You'll be able to get uh, Alert USA as an MSB member uh, to your mobile device and email for $75 bucks a year. So that's over 50% off the full price uh, and still a little bit off the special price to the end of the year. So if you're MSB and uh, you want to sign up for Alert USA, make sure you go to your uh, MSB uh, area first. Uh, it should be in there by the time that you're hearing this. If not, I will have it in uh, by the end of this week at the absolute latest. This has been Jack Spirico along with Steve Ostacolmus, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough or even if they don't. I don't know the answer.
like there's nothing I can do It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules There's a better way to do this Let me show you a better way Revolution is you.